This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, podcast family? Ben here for Devo Bad Company. Rooted in Eastern Washington, Devo uses nothing but the highest quality maple, ash, birch on the market. You know what? It makes a difference. At Devo Bats, they take pride in the craftsmanship that goes into each and every wooden bat produced. Your success at the plate is their ultimate priority. They want you to know when you think of bats, think of Devo Bats. Devo Bats. Your Northwest supplier of affordable quality wooden bats. Hey, podcast fam, it's Ben here from my friends over at Baseballism. Founded by four former college baseball players and teammates, their love and passion for the game did not stop after leaving the playing field. An amazing organization founded on the beliefs of class, tradition, and the history of baseball. I personally shop at Baseballism because of the quality of their products and the the top-of-the-line customer service I get each and every time. Take it from me, an avid hat lover. Baseballism is not your run-of-the-mill apparel company. Check them out at any of their fine locations or visit them online at Baseballism.com. Baseballism, built for the love of the game. Is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. <laughs> there was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they brought a little short, chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your hosts, Ben and Dave. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. As always, I am your host, Ben. And this week, we're going to change it up a little bit for you because we're not just talking baseball generally in the Pacific Northwest region. We're going to actually go out and we're going to expand our horizons today. And we're uh, we're reaching out to a book author. And uh, this book author... Uh, wrote this really amazing book. It's called The Cup of Coffee Club. And I want to read you uh, an excerpt out of the introduction of this book because I want to give you a feel for just what you're, you're going to get yourself into in this particular episode. Here it goes. 
What would you give to play one game in the major leagues? To feel the wind at your back, to see the flags blowing at Wrigley Field, to walk past the Green Monster at Fenway Park, or glance over at Monument Park at Yankee Stadium. Would you dedicate your entire life to that game, knowing you may never get your moment in the sun, your chance to step onto the field as a big leaguer? Just amazing, those words alone. And that's why we're talking to this author today, because I want to know more about um, about this book, the background. I also want to know more about the author himself. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest, Jacob Kornhauser, to the to the podcast today. How are you doing, Jacob? I'm good. Hanging in there. Thanks for uh, having me. Looking forward to chatting more about the book. Yeah, yeah. We uh, Let's just say we started this adventure um, several, several months ago. Oh, yeah. And I uh, saw... You know your book online. Um, we connected, and uh, you offered it up for me to be able to read. And I just got—I got to say, um, it's a fine piece of art. I—I uh, I enjoyed uh, reading the, the from beginning to end, and how you went from one era of baseball to another, and then you—you—you you, you took different you had a lot of different people and you had, they all had different experiences in one way shape or form with baseball but before we get into before we get into your book i i want to i want to step back and, and and learn a little bit more about yourself we you good with that sure, sure. yeah it works yeah. for me excellent so so did you did you play baseball yourself or was this baseball just you know a passion of yours yeah, yeah, I played. It was like the sport I was best at that I enjoyed the most and I kind of dedicated the most time to both, uh, you know, watching it, uh, researching it, kind of being, you know, baseball nerd, so to speak, growing up, reading all about mm-hmm. it and stuff um, and then playing it as well through high school and then um, a little in college, just like for fun with friends. Uh, nothing crazy, though. Who was your favorite ball player growing up? Uh, I'm a Cubs fan. And so right in that wheelhouse of when I was really starting to fall in love with baseball, uh, Derek Lee. Mm-hmm. was my favorite player. So um, I got to meet him when I was maybe 14 or 15, and he was the nicest guy. So it was a, a case of meeting your idol and having them actually kind of live up to that expectation that you set for them. So it was nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- w- did you meet him at a baseball game, or was this like outside? Yeah, at uh, Cubs convention. Um, okay. So the, just the fan convention every year. And I actually won some drawing that, you know, only a limited number of people got to go and get his autograph. There were some of the ones that were more open to everyone. But his, uh, since he was so good, was kind of more closed off. So it was kind of fortuitous that I won that and got to meet him and, and get his autograph. Mm-hmm. And what, what you remember what you said to him about, you know, about baseball or, you know, you just <sighs> really excited like any other Not sports fan? Not much. I think I was pretty quiet and just was like pretty respectful. And he just like thanked me for coming out, shook my hand. Uh, so it was really cool. Awesome. Awesome. Now, um, now was, is it been always like your thing to, you know, want to eventually write a book one day or, or was it just something that just, it, it just, you know, Hey, it just came to me one day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I read a ton of baseball books specifically. And so it was kind of this vague goal of mine to end up writing one eventually but I could just never think of a topic that, you know, I felt compelled to follow, uh, felt qualified to follow to its end and something that, you know, had enough meat to it that it would fill an entire book. So obviously until this project, I hadn't found something like that, but um, I was fortunate uh, to do so with this one. Was there a specific like baseball book author that really kind of brought you into it and and really kind of, you know, hey, you know, I, it, 
I really enjoy reading what they have, the material out there, and um, kind of just somebody you look up to. Yeah, Tim Kirkshin especially. Um, I got to meet him when I interned at ESPN several years ago, um, and that was really, really cool, and I kind of stay in touch with him. Uh, but I grew up reading his stuff. Um, more specifically, book-wise, like David Halberstam is is great. Um, several of his books are, are really good, too. So those two are, like, the big ones, um, but just Kirkshin more in general of, like, baseball writing, whether it be a book or articles or, or just different stuff like that, kind of bringing the love for the game into the writing style and really having that kind of show. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's, let's jump into the, the early stages. Let's, let's jump in into sure. like where the juice has really started to flow <laughs> about, about this idea. I don't, I, I want you to talk up to me about like, so where, where were you, where, where did this whole idea come from? Yeah. So I was chatting with a friend of mine. Uh, this was like my senior year of college. I'm like three years removed now. Um, from that. And so we were talking about just random baseball stuff. He's a big baseball fan too. Um, and I don't even know what the impetus was for me mentioning this idea, but something, you know, clicked upstairs and I kind of mentioned it and we both looked at each other and, you know, we knew that it was a good idea in theory, but I had not researched anything. Like I didn't really know. Um, so I'm like, Oh, like I'm going to look into that might be a cool project to kind of pursue. Um, and then as I started researching it more, you know, it's relatively rare, especially in like recent baseball history. Um, but it was in that sweet spot where it's like kind of rare enough to be a cool thing. But mm -hmm. there's enough guys like that that I could actually talk to a lot of them. Um, so I think it was really I really got rolling once I realized that we were in that sweet spot of, OK, I might have enough to, you know, have this entire concept turned into a book and really have some personalized stories in there, too. Mm -hmm. Where, where, where do you where does somebody start i mean like <laughs> you know you 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 come up with this idea okay i want to write a book about major league baseball players but that's just not any major league baseball players i want to get as specific as possible <laughs> like how how do you begin researching something like that when it's so you're you're, you're walking such a fine line <laughs> of you know few people yeah. So for me, it was finding the guys was the the biggest deal in terms of narrowing it to, you know, who I would want to talk to. I, I knew the whole time that I wanted to narrow it to about 25 or so guys and mm -hmm. then aim, you know, hopefully get about half of them for the book, which is right around where we ended up um, with having 11 specific, you know, guys who told their personal stories. Um, and so I just started kind of cross-referencing different stuff um, obviously had to be guys that are still alive because I wanted to talk to all these uh, people um, and then kind of started doing more research into their backstories reading you know other feature stories that had been done in the past if there had been any mm -hmm. um, and different stuff like that the guys that were like really well known like John Pachorek a lot of guys have heard his story um, for the Astros kind of one of the most successful cup of coffee players I didn't want to have an individual chapter devoted to guys like that just because I wanted these to kind of be stories that people hadn't heard before, at least, mm -hmm. you know, in, in whole. Um, and so once I narrowed it to those 25 or so guys, just based on the researching their stories, their statistical anomalies in their games, uh, then I started reaching out to different guys and, and obviously ended up with 11 of them. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you like your interviews? Were you was it on the phone? I mean, obviously, clearly we're in a different technological age. Right. So you could do Skype, Zoom, all these you know different kinds of things. What you know? What right. was your primary, um, you know, your your primary use? I mean, not use, but what was your primary, um, you know, outreach right. uh, tool? Yeah, it was mostly phone. Um, so 
Jeff Bannister, obviously the former uh, Rangers manager, I had reached out. It, it took a while to get his interview set up um, just through, you know, their PR team and, and whatnot. Um, but everyone else, it was kind of this like winding road of, you know, finding some lane that might lead me to, to being able to contact them and see if they'd be interested in talking about the book. Um, and then usually once that happened, then we just got an interview on the books. Um, and then I would kind of follow up sporadically as I was actually writing the story and realizing, hey, I'm missing a piece here or missing a piece there. We'd jump back on the phone and talk about kind of, you know, either clarifying something or adding some detail here or there um, to, to make sure that it was kind of they were feeling like their whole story was being told. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, how was it to like interview these former ball players? It was good. Um, I went in thinking that most of them would be a little more bitter than they were. I think certainly uh, there were a handful that were still a little bitter, but I think, you know, on this bitter to sweet sort of uh, continuum, I think guys were closer to sweet in terms of the way that they looked back on their careers than I anticipated they would be when I went into it. Mm -hmm. So we, you, you, you just hit a point here a second ago when you're saying, okay, when I, when I'm writing this book, I, I want to obviously clearly do it on people who are, who are living still, because then we right. can, you can hear directly from them. But with that comes a lot of information and information overload. Did you feel like you had a little too much information like for <laughs> these players to go through? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting trying to think of, you know, what to include, what to leave out, um, trying to kind of make sure I was doing their story justice without telling every little thing, because, you know, I'd find little little tidbits here or there, um, and I really had to make some tough decisions of whether to keep stuff in, does that distract from kind of, you know, this central focus that I wanted to have of these guys' journeys up to this mountaintop that, mm -hmm. you know, very few get to achieve then their day up on that mountaintop and then of course their struggle afterward um so the main focus in kind of picking and choosing those things that were in there uh was usually looked at through the lens of you know does this serve the the overall story well or not yeah and you, this is in your forward of your book you said the accounts in this book may seem to start and end in very different ways at first glance some are groomed from the for the game while others fall in love with it organically some remain with baseball for decades after their one game, while others find success in realms far from a baseball diamond. In every case, however, one thing is the same: the dream. What What was that? What was the dream like? You know, to them, did you hear about like excitement in their voice when you were talking? They were talking to you about these experiences. Yeah, it was more so of you know. Most of these guys, when they were kids and like so many kids uh, in this country, kind of growing up thinking, you know, I want to be a big leaguer. I want to play in the major leagues. And that's kind of the craziness of a player like this who's profiled in this book is, you know, they have this crazy dream. They get to live it for one single day. And then mm -hmm. just like that, it's gone and they don't get to, to have it again. So kind of, you know, in that portion of the, the opening chapter that you had read in, you know, would you give that all up? I think it's an interesting question for people to consider, you know, if you would work as hard as all these guys worked, if you were told you would get one and only one day in the major leagues, would you still do it? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I could, I, I see as a theme throughout your, your book and with a lot of these players, and I'm going to read this from Sam uh, Marcinik's chapter. One of the biggest things is I never dealt with failure before, but knowing how to deal with failure was probably the biggest struggle for me. Um, I felt like 
reading the book, a lot of these players never really had to deal with that failure because of the level of athlete they were in their respective areas. Some of these from smaller rural area communities um, and just being, just having that raw initial talent. um, Explain a little bit more about like, you know, what you got from all of this was, does that kind of sum up the, you know, what the book in some ways? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's obviously something that's kind of streamlined for, for most guys to get to that level of baseball is, or, or really any sport, you know, they, these guys were all playing shortstop and the star pitcher for their teams growing up, um, and kind of hitting that wall of, oh crap, you know, everyone around me is as talented or more talented than I am now. Um, and kind of, you know, getting into that mental battle, because once you, you know, you, you clear all the physical hurdles and, and you get to that level, but the, the mental battle is really uh, what puts these guys to the test. And I think it's what's tested a lot in, in everyone talked about in the book, because by definition, they're sort of these fringe players who, you know, mm-hmm. if they're lucky, maybe they carve out a couple uh, of years in the major leagues, but no one out of this group is going to become a star. You know, no one has that like kind of star level um, talent. So, I thought that the interesting thing was, you know, all of them obviously had the the physical gifts to at least get to that point. Um, But then it was really narrowed. The field was narrowed of, you know, who makes it and who doesn't uh, a lot of the time by kind of that mental battle. And of course, injury luck and and timing and, you know, if the front office likes you or not, uh, all affect that too. But I thought that the mental side of the game was uh, really, really of paramount importance. Yeah. Let's talk about Ron White. Right, um, at a uh, Kamekian High School in Kenwick, Washington. Mm-hmm. So, local person essentially here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Ron had an accident during uh, a surgical accident. Can you talk about that and 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 kind of talk about what what that experience, how he explained that experience to you? Yeah, so he was one of the top prospects um, out of, you know, out of all these guys, he was kind of a more highly touted prospect than most of them. Um, he came up in the Pirates organization. They kind of thought he was going to be the solution at first base for a long time. Uh, ended up not uh, working out there. But um, the main reason for that is he got a, a herniated disc in his back. Uh, he kind of just collapsed one day, uh, it flared up on him. And when they were doing the surgery, uh, they actually accidentally clipped his sciatic nerve, which is basically where, you know, you're going to get all your drive and kind of your feeling from in your leg. Um, and so obviously a, a, a tragic kind of error um, that happened with him. And despite that, and despite it being, uh, I believe, his right leg, which is kind of your, you know, the the leg that you drive all your power from. And he was a power hitter. So um, that was taken away all his power. He's still, he was one of those stories where it was sort of, you know, he overcame something uh, to get to the biggest stage because yes, he was a top prospect, but you know, once you take away his drive leg um, as a hitter and as a a guy who's going to be making his money as a power hitter, uh, it's really hard to, to make it to the big leagues, much less play there. And so his was kind of a more of a triumphant story, at least in getting to the major league level. Yeah. Yeah, and and the reason why I also bring up a story, not just because he's also from the Pacific Northwest, but also because of this line. He handled the mental side better than most, likely because of his strong family support system and the fact he realized there was life beyond baseball. He seems like one of the few stories in this book of the people that you covered that had a very good support system. You know, others, you know, either their family had passed or they're just they weren't around. And again, back to that initial part where we talked about how, um, you you know, having to never deal with failure. 
he seemed like he was one of the few out of this whole entire book that was able to deal with the failure the best. Yeah, I mean, I think just as a concept as a whole, it's kind of interesting because, like you mentioned, you know, he did kind of have that family support, um, which a lot of these guys had, you know, aspects of that, um, but his maybe stronger than others. But it's an interesting thought because uh, when you kind of sell yourself and sell your soul to kind of this idea of playing baseball professionally, it's almost as if you have to like sever a lot of ties and like just have this singularly focused goal because as soon as you start letting yourself think, you know, of these fallback plans and whatever, which obviously in practice is a good thing to do as a ball player, especially if you're not some surefire uh, hitter or pitcher, or, you know, someone who's going to be a star. Um, but that also kind of limits you because as soon as you let that doubt creep in, you know, thinking of other options, and that's a lot of times when your performance struggles. So I thought for him, it was interesting that he sort of had it both ways where, you know, he ended up obviously reaching the major leagues, didn't play mm-hmm. as much as he he would have liked, but then had a had a fallback, you know, went into pharmaceuticals and and is having a good post baseball career too. Yeah, um, and I just want to bring up one more or more element about kind of summarizing this, the the whole entire book, and and this comes from John Ratliff's chapter, and it says the tor- that's a torturous detail in the lives of these one gamers. In the course of an individual's life, some of the most significant events are often seemingly determined by the most minimal and inconsequential of factors. And it goes back to, you know, the other guy getting his sciatic nerve clip during during surgery or just the the, the mental state not being there. Um, I I guess looking at this book and reading it and I don't I I clearly don't want to give much. I'm not going to read much (laughs) more of this because I clearly don't want to give it away. But I wanted to give people a taste of it. But now let's go into the fact of after the fact here now. So after now that you've you, you know you've wrote this book, it's out there. People are beginning to read it. What are some of the things that you learned personally um, from the stories and and from you know hearing all doing the research on these individuals? Yeah, I think it still just goes back to that mental aspect of things of kind of gaining that perspective of obviously nothing that I have reached to achieve yet in my life is kind of. Uh, at that level, at least symbolically of, you know, what being a major league baseball player would be, but kind of centering myself and realizing, you know, that whatever goal I'm setting, like you, you work hard toward that and you maybe don't have it be the be all end all. Cause I think in hearing these guys stories in hearing them talk about other guys that they know that played in the league and everything like that, you know, when you do 100% sell your soul to the game you can be a little lost by the time that you retire. And a lot of these guys struggle with that. So while I haven't had an undertaking anywhere near as serious or competitive as, as Mm -hmm. playing in the big leagues yet, I think kind of keeping that perspective has been really important in, you know, hearing that sort of same refrain over and over again. Yeah. So what you're kind of telling me is, is that, you know, Hey, you know, listening to these, these, these gentlemen, listening to their stories, listening to what, you know, they, they clearly have, either had to overcome or give up in their life and knowing that this was their dream, but knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel and there's always, you know, something else out there. And so do you feel like it's a, in some ways this, this, this shares people's stories of the ability to maybe overcome failure? Yeah, I think so. And I think part of what drew me to this project to begin with and what I was happy it kind of revealed was, you know, this reflects so many other areas of life in terms of people being able to put themselves 
uh, in these players' shoes, even if you're not a baseball fan, you know, if you have a basic understanding of kind of how baseball works and, and in working your way up, I think that you can relate to this, whether it's, you know, a career goal that you have and, and kind of thinking, you know, whatever my greatest career goal is, what would I do if I was only able to achieve that for one day? Or what would I do if, you know, these hurdles were placed in my way like they were for all of these guys and, and different stuff like that. So I think it reflects life more than maybe we see um, other different baseball stories. So I thought that was an, an interesting aspect that I wanted to highlight and hope that uh, sort of that came across too. Because mm-hmm. like you said, I do think the the overcoming adversity, the struggles and, and different stuff like that, and just kind of an overall view of kind of goal achieving and stuff like that is, is really important to take from the book too. Mm-hmm. Out of all these guys, who is the funniest one to, to kind of talk to and you, <laughs> you, you kind of call up and just be like, hey man, yeah, let, let's talk. Uh, I would probably say Rose Skidmore, um, who debuted in 1970 for the Cubs, um, not being biased because I'm a Cubs fan, but he's just kind of a goofy guy. And, um, yeah, I don't really know how to describe it, but he just like, he looks back on his career with a whole lot of humor, um, and kind of is self-deprecating in that way and stuff like that. So it was really interesting just, you know, hearing his story and, and having him uh, just tell random stories, whether they were really related to what I was worried about or not. He was an entertaining guy. Mm-hmm. Um, what what story do you think touched you the most out of out of all of these? Or was it a combination of all of them that kind of touched you all together? Yeah, I mean, I think the concept of it is what drew me to it. Um, but if we're going to pick out a few, um, I would say the Sam Marcinic chapter that we mentioned, just because he has such a kind of complete 180 in terms of you know, his character and, and, and everything that was going on in his life where he was really struggling with drugs and alcohol during his playing career and yes. then really turned it around afterward. Uh, I thought his journey was really, really cool just in terms of, you know, how he turned his life around, really, and now is helping other people. Uh, Matt Tutman's chapter, um, kind yes, of his connection good. with his dad uh, is really, um, that's one that touched me too. And kind of, you know, I, I felt more of a, commitment or maybe not even commitment but more of a more drawn to uh kind of telling that story and and making sure that i did it justice because Mm -hmm. i thought it was pretty special do you think that the game of baseball needs these type of guys yeah absolutely um i think that these types of guys um show you know both what can be achieved with a bunch of hard work but also you know how hard it is uh, to make it to the big leagues. And I think I mentioned it in the epilogue of kind of hoping that these guys' stories show people just how hard it is to crack into the big leagues. Because all these guys, super, super talented players, and they're part of this pool of maybe you play a few years in the big leagues, maybe you don't play at all, or maybe you're right in the middle where these guys are, where you know you get up for one game. So I think even just to place a perspective on the difficulty, the trials and tribulations kind of of professional baseball in trying to get to the big leagues. It's really important for fans just to have a deeper understanding of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause they feel like it, like you're saying, it really builds of uh, the, 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 how to overcome certain things, uh, you know, getting called up. And then, you know, even some of these guys didn't, didn't play immediately. You know, they, right. some of them, sat on the bench the whole entire time and had beef, you know, maybe some beef with their coach and then got yep. sent back down just to come back up and then eventually kind of got in and, you know, you had even one player, did, you know, got ill or injured before the game and didn't right. even end up playing but was on the card. 
for that right. day. So it, it was it was interesting. And then the last thing about the book that I wanna that I wanna talk about is Mr. Larkin. Um, mm-hmm. happens to be the younger brother of Barry Larkin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was an interesting story. What was it? What, so it was Stephen Larkin. What was it like um, to to go in and interview a, a player knowing that their brother happens to be one of the more one of the better players in Major League Baseball history? Yeah, it's interesting because it's really his entire family, uh, you know, his his brothers and him growing up uh, were super, super athletic. Uh, you know, Byron played at Xavier, was a great, uh, great player there. I think he's like number 25 or something on the all time scoring list in NCAA. Another brother played football at Notre Dame. So really, you know, a, a superior, gifted, uh, athletic family that he grew up in. And he was sort of the runt of the litter, too, because he was the youngest. Um, so that was really cool in the aspect of, you know, he played for the Reds in his one game. He played uh, with his brother, Barry. But the cool thing about that was other than, you know, playing random games with uh, their friends around the neighborhood, like they were so far in age that this one game in the major leagues was the only time that they ever played on the same baseball team together. It wasn't like they were close enough in age ever to have had that before. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. That was a pretty historic game, too, though, because mm-hmm. they weren't the only sibling pair playing that game, correct? Right, yeah. The Boons were in that same infield, and so that was the first time and first and only time, and I don't know any other set of circumstances mm-hmm. that would you know, ever have this happen again where two sets of brothers were playing uh, in the same infield for the same team. Yeah. Well, I, I got to say, again, um, it's an, I, I think it's a, it's a really good book. Uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it took me a little while to read it, and the only reason why it took me a little while to read it because I kept going back, and I'm like, "What did I miss here?" Like I got I had to have missed something, but I was <laughs> trying to, I was trying to one prepare myself for for this interview, but also at the same time, I was I was trying to get as much as I could out of out of the book, and I just think it's a great collection of maybe not so necessarily failure. Altogether, because right. I don't really don't know if failures just is is the word for it, but um, I think it's the ability to adapt and overcome, um, you know, things that are put in front of you, whether it be a mental thing or whether it be a physical thing. And I think that's probably the two biggest things that this book brings out: mental, uh, mental, mental health issues and physical issues, and how you can adapt and overcome. On, on both of those. So I think you really, really, really highlighted it. And I hope that a lot of the young players um, that are out there read this book. I mean, do you, do you think that uh, it would be a very good book for younger uh, athletes to read, whether it be baseball or basketball, football, any sport? Yeah, I definitely think so. Almost in a way to confirm or deny, you know, if this dream that you have is as strong as you think it is, you know, think of a a young ball player reading this book and kind of if it reinforces the fact that they want to be a big leaguer and they would kind of answer yes to that opening question that we had of, you know, would you put in all this work to, to get one game in the big leagues? Then I think they're well on their way in terms of uh, at least knowing that the passion is there to be able to play. And if the answer is no, then you kind of know, you know, obviously most people shouldn't even have that goal kind of eating away at them uh, unless you really, really are sure. And so you can, play baseball for kind of the fun of the game and, and loving the game and stuff like that. But I think in terms of having a barometer of, you know, how much do you love the game and how much mm-hmm. are you willing to work for it? 
uh, I think that'd be a really useful tool. Yeah. Well, where can you find the book? I mean, because clearly it's out right. there, but where, where, can, where can I, if, if I want to go get this, um, where can I go find it? Yeah, a couple different places. You can go to Amazon, uh, just search Cup of Coffee Club, uh, barnesandnoble.com has it, you know, IndieBound, uh, kind of basically wherever you buy your books. If you just search the Cup of Coffee Club kind of in Google, it's one of the first results in there, um, and you should be able to, to find a link to grab yourself a copy. So uh, really wherever is easiest for you, but those three are kind of the easiest ways to do it. Yeah, so it's the Cup of Coffee Club. It's 11 players in their brush with baseball history. It tells the stories of 11 players who made it to the big leagues for just a single game. It details their struggles to reach the major leagues, their one moment in the limelight, and their struggles to get back. The players include former Major League Baseball manager and son and Hall of Famer and two brothers of Hall of Famers. Got some great content in here. Hey, man, I, w- I could go on and on and on about this <laughs> book. I enjoyed it, but... I don't want to give any more of this away because <laughs> I want I want the I want the listeners to go out and get this book and read it because I think it's it's that good and it it's definitely on my reading list of uh, recommendations. So thank you, Jacob, so much for spending some time with me today um, talking about your book. It was been great. Absolutely, thanks for having me. I had a great time too. All right, well that'll do it for this episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Like I like Jacob said, uh, it's the Cup of Coffee Club. It's by Jacob Kornhauser. It's spelled K-O-R-N-H-A-U-S-E-R. First name, Jacob, J-A-C-O-B. Go get it. Barnes & Noble. Go get it. Amazon.com. Just give it a search online. Um, I guarantee you will not leave this book. Let it down. Anything. You're just going to love it. So um, for this episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast, I appreciate you listening. You take care and have yourself a great day. Peace out.